Hey everybody, welcome to episode four of the Louisville Sluggers podcast. I'm here with Jake Moore, my co-host, and also with the GM of Texas Airhogs Baseball, Nathan Gutierrez. Nathan, how are you doing tonight? Fantastic, guys. Thanks for coming out to the stadium. Um, super appreciative that you guys made the travel all the way out here to Grand Prairie to the stadium. It obviously allowed me to get some extra work done while I waited for you guys and do some different things, but ultimately just appreciate that you guys came out to visit. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate you letting us record here. And, you know, someone uh, like you, you have a very unique uh, perspective on baseball. You, you're the GM of an independent minor league team. Uh, so can you kind of dive into that and, and maybe expand on things that maybe the public or regular MLB watchers, uh, casual watchers, don't know? Yeah, so I have, I have quite a few unique perspectives, I think, in that I'm a pretty young GM in the, in the league perspective, but also across baseball. So I'm very current on technology, trends, kind of where, what direction baseball is going in to make sure that we align the team accordingly, but also just to progress the game. I mean, what opportunities are out there to continue to progress the game from a, to a kid's and what is it going to look like for the major leagues in 10 or 15 years from a fan perspective, from a team perspective? Um, and I'm interested. I think that's the main thing is I'm young enough, I'm hungry enough to really be looking to the future, knowing that I'm going to be doing this for another hopefully 15, 20 years and what changes are coming. I mean, you think about technology, technology moves faster than we can humanly imagine. And that, that applies to baseball. You can see the track mans in the stadiums now. We're, we're tracking every statistic known to man, how fast the guy's running to first base, how many times his ball is literally spinning from the pitcher's mound to the home plate. I think when you get back to the 80s, 90s, we're looking at velocity, batting average. We're looking at big statistics, things that are, cal- that are measured on paper. Now we can get down to the nitty-gritty of times the ball literally turns over from pitcher's mound to plate. Um, how fast the ball is coming off the bat. And I think that's, that's a big advancement in that you can recruit a guy who's hitting 420, but if the ball is coming off the bat at 70 miles per hour consistently, it's only a matter of time before that catches up to him. And in the retrospect, yeah, a point. guy who's hitting the ball 110 miles an hour, 115 miles per hour, but he's hitting 240, 230, it's only a matter of time before some of those balls start to get down, find gaps. Um, yeah. There's just so much more to the Stanton game. Stanton had now. like a 240 average on a couple years ago, but he – was hitting balls at 115 miles per hour. So. And it just, there's just so much more not like data to, to kind of look at, past batting average, past. And a lot of times, you don't even have to see a guy anymore. You can kind of judge a guy's performance in another state based on all these metrics because we're getting past now. He's throwing 94. But is he throwing a flat 94? Is he throwing a ball that's really turning over? Uh, 100, 120 times, 94, because a ball that's turning over that many times is going to have naturally more movement from wind resistance to the seams than somebody who's to throwing it 60 or 70 times over and over. So, Okay, so uh, Jake, I'm going to ask him one question. and uh, You want to follow up that one afterwards? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm really glad that, um, you know, seeing young GMs like Nate in baseball because I'm a huge fan of the analytics and like you was talking about exit velo and, and spin rate, and I think that's the the real direction that baseball's headed, and as as it should be headed. You know, we can learn a lot. Batting average used to be really highly valued, but you look at a guy like Lou Brock back in the day, his OBP wasn't that great. So right now, he wouldn't be as highly valued as he was back in those days. So, I mean, I'm, I love the analytics. I'm glad baseball is kind of headed that direction. I think to that point is that baseball's always been a numbers game. It's always been a a nerd's game, for lack of better terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've always kind of dove into the numbers. You see the long stat lines. Um, and now, now figuring out what numbers are important. 
and trying to figure out what is actually applicable to a game. Like he said, OBP, OBP had less value in previous decades, where now it's gained a higher value because they understand the difference of a run versus an out. And I think comparatively, you've seen bunting going away because the analytics say that that out is no longer a productive out. You're giving away, you only have 27 outs, yeah. no matter what you exactly. look at. You have 27 outs and to give one away or two or three away a game, is not as valuable through statistics as just swinging the bat. And so I think we've always been a numbers-based game, and now we're just taking it to a next level, essentially. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So with all these different numbers coming into play and, and players uh, being told from their coaches and maybe uh, the nerds, rather, behind the stage and, and saying, okay, you're better when you, when you pitch this pitch and, and when you give it you know, this kind of strength or when you, when you throw it above 95, you're going to see a better – a better dip or something like that, better curve. Now, uh, I'm seeing a lot of teams right now getting rid of the older managers and, and going with the with the young guns blazing kind of managers, but they have that the smarts behind them. They, they got the data behind them. So do you think in maybe, say, five years that we're not going to see people like uh, Joe Girardi? I know he just got a new deal with the Phillies. I think it was three years, something like that. Good you know, coach. Yeah, uh, great coach. And, uh, you know, do you think you're going to see uh, Buck Showalter get another managerial shot? Uh, uh, I can't remember who just recently, he was a, the Giants manager who just left. Bochi. Bochi, thank you. Yeah, you know, is he going to come back after their Giants managers came in? It's a good question to see because you have people that are coming up that are much younger and they have the data behind them and the front office backs them. Yeah, and I think – as you can see, more and more GM hires, they're going more analytics-driven. They're going more guys who are willing to delve into the numbers, even if it's both. I think you got to have both. Ultimately, you got to have true scouts who can see arm action, who can see certain things. And then, in some regards, the numbers don't lie. I mean, if you're, you, can, you can look great on the mound, but if your spin rate's low, your spin rate's low. Right. So I think you hang the a curveball, it's gone. Yeah, so I think the numbers, the numbers play... The eye test still plays, yeah. but as we as we continue to hire more and more analytics-based GMs, that's only going to funnel down because at the end of the day, the GMs hire the coaches. The GMs kind of set the framework of the team, and if they're analytics-based, you can imagine the team is going to move in that general direction. I think they're holding a little tight. Baseball is a traditional sport. We like to slow, slow move away from things. Um, so I think it's not going to be a – I don't think five years is even – a relative enough time frame for us to completely move to an analytics base. Um, it's going to be a little slower than that, but at the same time, you see the Astros who have cut their scouting department, I think 80%, 70%, mm-hmm. because they have so much access to data. I don't need to send guys all over the country when I can get the data beforehand to make sure that I really want to send a guy that way, and that allows them to reduce staff. And I think you'll see that across the board as more and more track man's going to solve the stadiums, as more and more of these data collection processes for these specific stats become more readily available to teams, to managers, to agents, you'll see less and less manpower needed. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think there's, there will be a rebound effect of we've gone to analytics, we've gone to, we've, we've delved so much into the numbers that we've lost a lot of good players, we've lost a lot of guys who don't fill up the stat sheet, who don't do those things, and we move more towards, um, move more, more back towards kind of the eye test and it balances itself out eventually. I think we're gonna have a big sway here in the next couple of years towards analytics, 
I think naturally it'll be a rebound effect. Same thing with the home run era. Everybody's launch angle. Yeah, yeah. This and that. Perhaps it's juice balls. Perhaps. Know. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yep. <laughs> Rawlings has definitely done their part to uh, enhance yeah. the fan experience. Right, right, right. Um, Which is partly owned, I believe, or if not completely owned by MLB now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the number, but yeah, I know I it's know they're either. they're in partnership, yeah. close partnership. Yeah, close partnership. And interestingly enough, our league also buys balls from Rawlings, so we we also cut deals with Rawlings, and we didn't see our numbers jump to the to the extremes that they did, but the batting averages are a little up. There's a few things, and partially due to approach at the plate, but I think baseballs do play a part in it. Yeah. So, as a GM, what are what are some of like the the strengths and or maybe some of the struggles? Uh, what, you know, what kind of roster are you playing with? How many people? How many players on the team? Yeah. So in, in MLB, we'll start there. They play a 25-man active roster with a 40-man full roster. So yeah. you can kind of bring those guys up in September as long as they're on the 40-man. That creates a lot of protection, I think, for the players in that if you're on the 40-man, you can't just remove somebody from the 40-man without sending them through waivers, exposing them to other teams. So there's some protections in there for the major league teams. At our level, we have a 23-man roster completely unprotected. So we, um, we bring in the 23 best players that currently aren't signed to affiliated contracts, whether that be uh, stateside guys, guys from around the U.S., but also we dabble into the Caribbean island games. And then in our case here in Texas, we do a partnership deal with the Chinese national team, um, expose them to American baseball, get them the at-bats, the opportunities to develop their basics. And to answer your question, is constructing a roster is different for every team. you got to kind of play to your strengths, play to your weaknesses, play to your ballpark, play to um, what you're trying to accomplish as a team. Are you going to be a pitching defense first team or are you going to be a team that sets the league record in home runs and you build your roster accordingly? I think as long as you have a plan in place to kind of what you think is going to be the best opportunity for your team to win, you go about building a roster around that. In our case, we have the Chinese national team. So they are Pacific Islanders who play Pacific Islander baseball, which is small ball bunt, slap hit, singles hit, um, and then we fill in around them with the things that they need. So in our, in our case, tw- 13 of our 25 are occupied by Chinese nationalists that are a lot of thumbers, off-speed pitchers, singles hitters, speed guys, good defensive guys. And when you think about building a roster around them, you're going to have to find somebody that can drive them in, put the ball in the gaps, move some runners, because they're just not going to have the ability to do that consistently. So we have a pretty unique perspective in building a roster here, specifically in that you have to find someone that can do those things, drive the ball in the gaps, so on and so forth, but is also willing to step into a leadership role, an instructional role, as we try to develop out the national team, teach them a little, teach the nuances of the game. And I think a lot of players, from our perspective, have been receptive to that. I think we're globalizing the game. Yeah, um, absolutely. When you, when you talk about dealing with China, the first thing that comes up a lot of times is the politics, is the, is the other things that kind of the hot button topics. And I think my response to that is ultimately we don't promote any culture, Chinese culture. We don't promote any Chinese politics. Essentially, we're trying to globalize this game that we've grown to love and adore here in this country and to spread it to others and watch them hit their first home runs, watch them hit their first RBIs is a really cool experience for a game that we've just grown up with, loved, adored, 
um, and we've taken for granted in some cases the opportunities that we've had to live in a country that promotes sports, promotes freedom of choice, and to, to do accomplishments in that realm, and to see another country that uh, hasn't had those opportunities to come here and experience that, and against good talent. I mean, they're playing, they're facing major league pitchers, double-A, triple-A pitchers from a, from a country that has ultimately a low level of talent across the board. So then we come here, they showed monumental improvements. I think when, you, when we started this partnership two years ago, they were very underdeveloped from the nuances of taking leads to taking taking the extra base to setting up double cuts just a lot of things that come from repetition of the game that you learn from when you're 13 to mm -hmm. 17 18 they're just now learning that at 19 or 20 and you can kind of see the light bulb go on for a lot of them of like man this game is really fun when we execute it properly when we play it the right way when we understand that this is ultimately the greatest game of chess that we can offer. Yeah, and then you throw in all those numbers and that data, and then you can see them make even more monumental improvements as well, because that's something that uh, you know they didn't have access to. Absolutely, and they're and they're they're a very numbers-driven culture as it is. So I think they pay more even more attention to it than the traditionalists of America who are like, hey, I'm hitting 330. I could care less. <laughs> I could care less what my exit velocity is. Right. I could care less what that guy's spin rate is on the mound. I'm here to play ball. This is the game I've played since I was seven or eight years old. I know how to play. Yeah. In their case, they're such a developing country to baseball and at a time that analytics is so prevalent that they've almost been integrated naturally into the analytics game and they've taken a foothold to, you can see them out there tracking spin rates. You can see them videoing each other some mechanics and stuff that you just didn't see in the late 80s, early 90s of baseball at any level. Yeah, absolutely. Jake, uh, you got any topics you want to bring up? Oh, I mean, I'd like to touch on what Nate had to say a little bit about um, analytics, and I think I think he hit the nail on the head where we're always going to have the old guard. Baseball is the old guard, and we're always going to have the lifetime baseball men, guys like Don Zimmer, um, you know, guys like Bruce Bochy that have been in this game, Tommy Lasore, guys that have been in this game for years and years and years. And that's never going to go away. It, even it might go down, um, but we are going to see the, the younger managers. I mean, we even see now guys like Dave Roberts, um, Aaron Boone coming up to be managers that, I mean, they're basically lifetime lifetime baseball men. Yeah. Um, they're probably getting pushed by their front office to use analytics more than and you know guys like Aaron Boone and Dave Roberts are going, hey, man, we were, we were just playing this game, you know, 10 years ago and – 15 years ago, and there, there wasn't such a thing. It was just, hey, I'm getting on base and I'm doing my job, or Dave Roberts, I'm still on bases, I'm good. Um, and there, there will be some kind of rebound effect to where they do go too far. But, I mean, baseball, baseball is a trending game, and we saw a few years ago where the Royals played a, a different brand than the rest of the league was playing, and it, and it won them a World Series. Yeah. And they beat a really, really good pitching staff. Absolutely. So, I'm, I mean – I'm excited to see where the analytics does take us, but I do think that at some point um, it'll go back and in, I don't know, 20 years we'll see more bunting then than we'll see today. So it's, I, I like, baseball cyclical, so yeah, I like absolutely. to see I mean, it. if you have someone like Delano DeShields Jr. hitting that bunt, you could easily get on base. So. Yeah, I think, I, think it's, I think it's similar to a lot of sports in that regard of trends. I think you think basketball now is that the three-pointer is all of a sudden – the hottest thing since sliced bread when <laughs> 30, 40 years ago, they didn't even have a three-point line. And now that is the... It's true. That Bob Cousy could have used one of those. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about um, the logo, Jerry West himself, third, I think, all-time in NCAA points with no three-point line. 
Um, but to now look at the college game, look at the pro game, it's based around the three-point line. You got you got sinners who can shoot. You got, but eventually, eventually that I think is also going to rebound. I think they're gonna they're gonna get a big man, a Giannis, somebody of that equivalent who can dominate the paint. That they're gonna realize that this guy can get two points every time. We're getting three occasionally. Same thing in this. Same thing in baseball. I'm hitting a home run every third or fourth at bat but the team I'm playing is slapping singles around they're scoring runs so my home run doesn't have the same effect that it may have had in today's game where everybody's trying to hit home runs it's going to take a team that's going to kind of transcend the game from a speed perspective from a fundamentals perspective and when you look back on baseball history that's been the best teams I mean the the teams that could really do it all pitch hit and play defense I think now we're kind of seeing a specialist in a lot of teams Hard, hard throwing pitchers, yeah, guys who can hit the ball out the yard, and defense is just kind of by the wayside because, hey, the guys walking, striking out, or hitting out of the fence, who cares what I'm doing in left field right. as long it's as I can. Kind hit. of like the twin situation where Nelson Cruz, they're they're hitting, they just you know now they have the home run uh, total, team total record, and the Yankees were back by one, and but you know at the end of the day they didn't really advance past the ALDS. The pitching just got obliterated. Uh, by Yankees offense. Now, you brought up rule changes in, in the three-point line, and uh, I mentioned this to Jake earlier today. How do you feel about MLB's new rule where a pitcher has to face at least three batters? I love it. To be honest, I love it because that's what ba- – I mean, baseball was never about coming in and getting one guy out. I think that when we expanded roster sizes to 20 20- – I think you're wasting an arm if you do that. I think I think they they can do that. I think when you have twenty five guys who um, and you got eight or nine in the bullpen and one or two that can literally throw every day. And they've been they've played baseball so long that they've developed what we call a rubber arm in the industry. And they can literally just go out there and throw it every day. Um, to I that think in my situation, maybe just more postseason. Yeah, I think you're going to waste an arm if you play that way. But regular season, it, it might be a little bit helpful if you, if you need that specialist situation. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I think it's it's both ways. Like it's it, the game. The game has become so specialized in that. Like I'm bringing in a lefty to face a lefty, and not only am I going to bring in a lefty, I'm going to now shift my whole defense to exactly where you're going to hit it based on analytics. Um, and then you get into the argument of why don't you just bunt? Why don't you just hit the ball the other way? Well, to Joey Gallo, is a single is a single even worth it at that point when the guy behind you is going to be trying to do the same thing you were doing, trying to hit it out? Is he ever going to move you around the bases to the point that that walk was worth it? it in the game we're going towards today, they're not. So it's, right. it makes more sense for him to just take the cuts and yep. try to hit it out. And because now we're playing a lot of low-scoring games. You can see back in the, in the World Series of the late 70s, early 80s, we're playing 12 to 10 games with 18 to 14 hits, six stolen bases per game. Um, now you got Strasburg going. And now, yeah. funny you mentioned stolen bases, Nate. I mean, you know, guys aren't even attempting as many stolen as many stolen as, as many successful stolen bases as guys were getting in the '70s and '80s. Like guys like you know Lou Brock and Ricky Henderson and Rock Rains. Now they're not even. I mean, a, a guy will lead the league with 60 by by and, margins. And yeah. and you know, back in the day, Ricky Henderson was stealing you know 70. He was hurt a year. Harold Reynolds stole 61, and he, you know, he led the league that year. Yeah, and I think that gets kind of back to the original point of launch angle that because when Ricky Henderson would steal second, he was a single away from scoring. We don't hit enough singles in today's game that that gamble of stealing the base is worth 
getting on second because I'm just as good on first now as I am on second when the guy's trying to hit it out. If right. he hits it out, it doesn't matter what base I'm on. I'm right. going to score. Exactly. If he hits it in the gap, which they're also doing, I'm going to still score from first. Um, I think that's just kind of a trend of the game. We've moved away from bunting stolen bases because we've gone such in a direction of Yeah, if you're focusing on ball. these players with a lot of exit velo and, and, or, or rather exit velocity and the, you know, the, the angles, two launch angles too, you're not really focused on the speedster who can get the second on the stolen base. You're focused on the guy who has that nice natural swing. And I think from a pitcher standpoint, the strikeouts are so high that that's almost the goal now, where it used to be throw it in on the guy's hands, let's get a rollover, let's throw it outer half, get a rollover. Now it's what pitch do I got to make to strike the guy out. So it doesn't matter what base. I don't care if the guy's still second base. If I'm going to strike him out anyways, neither here nor there. So Right, right. I mean, if, and if you look, I mean, you guys remember back in, you know, the early 2000s or, you know, even the mid-2000s and going home and watching the Braves on, on TBS or watching the Rangers play or watching the Cubs or White Sox play on WGN, a lot of starting pitchers were throwing 88 to 92, 88 to 92. And you'd sure every now and then a guy would uncork one. He, he might have a few guys that sit at 94, 95, but in today's game, most everybody sits 94, 95 in the top three of a staff unless you have a soft lefty on the mound. And like he's like Nate's saying, it's such a strikeout game now where a lot of guys sit 96, 97 the whole game, and there's, it's, it's such a strikeout game where it's the – I mean, Adam Dunn is the character. One, uh, you know, three true outcomes. Walk, home run, strikeout. That's, that's all he's going to give you. I'm not a huge fan of that, but that's the way the game's going. So I'm going to, you know, I love the game. It is what it is. I do like the lefty specialist, though. If you got, you know, a couple lefties back-to-back and they got a lefty that throws from, you know, sidearm down there. I'm not seeing a lot of sidearm pitchers lately. Not not really. Big 12 used to love those guys. But yeah, I, I, I know. I, I mean, I'm kind of the – I'm the old guard, too, but I'd also like to see the, the NL get rid of the DH. I'm sorry, the NL adopt the DH and um, just have – you know, I want to hear your opinion. I want to hear your opinion a little more on the removing the DH. No, no, adopting NL adopt it. Sorry, the NL adopting the DH. Yes. So making it universal rule yes. across the league. Kind of give me your reasoning. So, at every level past, I mean, mainly high school. Um, you know, at one time pitchers were most likely one of the best athletes on the field. A lot of guys were their high school team shortstop, or they might have played in the in the field in college. Um, by the time they get to the minors and they get drafted as a pitcher, they no longer pick up a bat unless it's a fungo. And if they're a stud, they don't even pick up a fungo. Pitchers take BP maybe once a week. They really can't hit. Um, I mean, you sure you got some guys like outliers like a Carlos Sambrano or Mike Hampton. Mad, Mad Bum. Mad Bum can hit a little bit. Um, yeah, center guards hit a few. Yeah, but at the, at the end of the day, I would much rather have a guy like – David Ortiz in my lineup than having a guy like Max Scherzer, who is an awesome pitcher, go take BP and foul a ball off his nose and get a black guy. Or having a guy still second and get a back strain. Or, you know, they're worried about him running the bases. I mean, it's – yeah, they and get the jackets. They, and it's like it's like they're it's like they're so pacified that it's like, man, you know, they, they pacify these guys so much, which I get. You know, you have an investment in most of these pitchers. And a big investment. And, and a these big days. investment. You know, you're, especially if, if you're on the first or second year of a six or seven year deal worth, you know, you know, near two hundred million dollars. It's like, yeah, I want to protect that guy too. 
I don't want him hitting when if he takes a you know if he takes a cut wrong he tears his back up and he's out for you know three weeks and he misses you know five starts. Yeah, and, and I and I agree to some ends. I think even we played high school together, which is a fact known now to the podcast. But you um, you remember that there was POs in high school, yeah, pitchers only in high school, <laughs> pitchers only in high school. They're kind of developing at a stage so early now high school level that pitchers are stopping to hit let alone by the time they make it to the bigs eight or nine years later they've probably never hit so to that point i i agree i think to the other point is you're a baseball traditionalist you're a purist and the fact that there's a lot of strategy involved when you have to think about pulling a guy in the fifth or sixth because you got two runners on it's a close game it's now you're kind of having to think more as a manager and I and I appreciate that. I think from a from me really observing the game as a big game of chess, which is what it is, um, high stakes chess. But you um, you have to think a little more, which I appreciate um, from a manager perspective. It gets the manager a little more involved. I think the AL managers now is like that guy's a DH. He's batting in the four hole most times. Um, you're turning over your lineup with a shortstop who's a pretty good athlete in the nine hole that can. He's probably a 260, 270 hitter, but he's athletic enough that you're never going to have to worry about in your lineup really pinch hitting, thinking strategy, thinking preserving bullpen, what are we going to do tomorrow. Um, And and the worst thing, too, is if you're that pitcher and you give up a hit to a pitcher, it's just embarrassing. And I've I've always appreciated uh, the the series of double switching because when you do get to that fifth or sixth inning and you're in a a 1-0 ball game, and it doesn't matter if you're ahead or behind, and you do have a couple guys on, but you're in that fifth or sixth. Like, man, my guy, my guy's cruising, but I got this guy on the bench, and if I can, you know, if I can, you know, squeak out a run here, or you know, and tie this game up, you know, do, do I pull this guy in the fifth? And that's one thing that I've never appreciated about the NL, though, is these guys seem to pitch fewer innings at times, because they'll go. I'm like five innings, man. That's not that's not a good start. Oh, well, he got pulled, so this guy could pinch hit for him, and. I just think they should just absolve from the game because there's the demographic of, of pitchers that can hit is so small. Just what? let's it, let's just have a. And DA. I think too that that helped the Nationals a lot in the World Series when they went to the Astro Stadium and, and they had that extra bat. I think it's always going to be an advantage either way. I think it's also an advantage for them at home when the Astros are used to plugging in Yuri Gurriel on the DH, and now he's got to play first base. He hasn't played there a lot. And you're removing another hitter who normally plays first base from your lineup. you got to do a little more strategy. To that point, I think Jake is right on par with, if we're going to have it, then let's groom the pitchers to hit. Let's, let's kind of go down that road a little bit of getting them involved in batting practice and doing the such, because it is a rule. And I think even now in the National League, it's a rule. But they don't, they don't necessarily group their pitchers to be ready for it. And that's not even including pitchers that have spent their whole career in the AL and now got to go to the NL, a la you Darvish, went to the Cubs, had no idea what to do with the bat. Like, he was just, he was just <laughs> well, kind of standing up there like, yeah. man, this is what it feels like to face a major league pitcher. And I'm going to go out there and take the every, every level, though, every, I mean, every level of professional baseball outside the National League, every minor league, we have a has, DH. Yeah, and, we have and, a DH. You know, yeah. So in every level of independent and or every, I mean, independence professional, every level of professional, I mean, down to the minors. All even if you're a National League affiliate, they use a designated hitter. Yeah. The funny thing about you, Darvish, too, is 
uh, when the Astros were going against the Dodgers. Uh, he was on their team, I believe, at the time, right? Dodgers, yeah. Yeah, Dodgers. yeah he was. And, like, he was getting smoked, and everyone's like, oh, Astros, uh, it, because they know what's coming. I go, no, he, it's because they played against some of the Rangers for years. <laughs> they knew. Well, and to that point, every hitter knows what every single pitcher in the league throws. Like, yeah. Like, analytics have just gotten that far to the point of not only do I know what – Not only do I know what you throw, I know what counts you throw it in, what percentage of times per count you throw certain pitches – um, so the the evolution of hitting to that aspect has developed far, far beyond oh, sign man. stealing or yeah. knowing a guy. Everybody knows everybody to the numbers, to the right, T. You right. throw a curveball 33% of the time in a 2-1 count as opposed to 70, 70% of the time you throw a fastball and occasionally you throw a changeup. So I can almost eliminate changeup. Right. I know I'm in these two sectors based on history, and humans are just – You're going to guess. Humans are creatures of habit. Yes, uh, yes. Catchers are cre- creatures of habit. You get in, you get in pitch sequencing that can be identified. Um, it, it, that, and when yeah. you're talking about millions of dollars, you're talking about uh, guys' livelihood. You think that they're not delving into that information? Of course they are. Yeah. They're trying to do. They're trying to get every. Everybody's trying to get a bigger payroll. Every mental advantage, every physical advantage, every little because baseball is such a game of inches. I mean, that's what they call it. So every little one hour, one extra hour in the film room. Could go, mon- they could create monumental change. Absolutely. I'm sure everybody. I mean, I don't know that for. I'm sure everybody had ta- has tablets. Yeah. And like what Nate's saying, I mean, I mean, he knows because he was a catcher. Is is okay. I, I mean, I ha- he has the scouting report on this guy. So if this guy's a three hole and he likes fastball, I'm not going to throw him this pitch, but I'm going to throw him this pitch. Oh oh. So if we get strike one here, I can throw him this pitch. And if it's ball, if it's a ball, it doesn't matter. I'm not setting him up for that pitch. I'm setting him up for this changeup on pitch three because he has a 197 batting average on changeups, but he likes the ball low and away, or he likes the ball, you know, you know, middle out, you know, middle third. Or I'm sorry, outer third of the plate. So, you know, er, er, there's so like he's saying, there's so much information out there that guys have. I mean, even in college, we'd have you know all sorts of stat sheets on on guys. Guys that you never even seen before that Got, you're getting information did, passed from guys other teams. Know, and you know we're not even from the same. You know we're not even from the same state. This guy's from Mississippi. I'm from you know I'm from Texas. I don't even know what this guy looks like, but okay, number okay, this guy's gonna start today and he throws. Okay, well he's got three pitches. He throws fastball curve and he throws a slider. His changeup sucks, so he never throws it. And, and to that point, baseball baseball plays so many games that that's why data became so prevalent with baseball. Is that when you're playing once a week, a la football, or every other week, the stats can vary. When you're playing every day, every single I mean, regular season games. every single day you're playing, there's no time for you to make monumental adjustments. So the day, what you do on Tuesday, it's very going to be very similar to what you do on Wednesday. It can be very similar to what you do on Thursday, and the fact that you get maybe one day in the cage to really put in work to adjust your swing to kind of combat the pitch sequencing that they're throwing at you. There's just not enough time to make monumental changes from a hitter's perspective or a pitcher's perspective. And when there's such a years and years of 162 games at a time's worth of data, you're going you're gonna to pretty much stay true to what, what you've been doing for your And when your, your mechanics are off, too, it's a hard, hard uh, adventure. And it's kind of an adventure to get back, really. It's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I think that's I, why I a lot of guys are streaky. Like, like you did, Jake. Or I didn't play high school. I played with Jake when I was younger. But, you know, I can only imagine back then you got those little bits of information that they would throw across. But 
since it's like a test now. You have to know going in, you got to study, you got to do your homework. And, you know, Sonny Gray, I think a couple years ago when he was with the Yankees and it was just a terrible relationship, he was saying, I don't really have a, a, a routine. You know, he's not a Trevor Bauer. He, he, I think he said, yeah, I'm just going to go home and watch the next season of Peaky Blinders. You know, so, I mean, I think it's very important, especially, you know, Trevor Bauer's a little bit more intense, but he has a routine. Every, every, every start, he goes out, he stretches, he does a lot of different things, and he gets into his rhythm, and getting your rhythm and, and not having the yips, things like that, it's so important. Yeah, and I think when, you, when you're kind of referring on when you were middle school, high school, the real-world problems that you're facing aside from the field are very minimal. We're talking grades, you don't like your teacher, yep. kind of small factors. And when you get to a professional level, we're talking 21, 22-year-olds who are trying to find themselves all the way up to 30-year-olds that kind of know they're over the hill and they have problems that kind of reside away from the field to come here and kind of refocus back in is a whole another element, especially doing it every day. I mean, if you get in a slump, but you got we're playing the next 10 days. If you're not, if your mind's not right on game one, that can, that can linger to all the way to game 10. Yeah. And you know, you go over three, you go home, your home, your home life balance isn't right. You're struggling there. You come to the park, you're struggling here. You're doing it every day. That can, that can get, that can mount on you in a heavy way. And in an affiliated system, they have a lot of dollars invested in you that they can kind of see those things out in an independent situation or a minor league situation like us. We don't, we don't have that luxury to kind of let them work through their issues when we only have a 23-man roster. We can't send you down. We, don't, we can't send you to a single A. We can't send you to another affiliate of ours. Like, unfortunately, we have to let you go. So I think yeah, when... It's a big difference. It's, it's a huge difference, and it's a lot more... It's a pressure. I mean, and that, and that also weighs on yes. outside the field yeah. issues. You're struggling out the field. Now the GM is kind of lingering around, looking for other players at your position. You kind of you you got to feel you got a sense you're at the park every day you got a sense of what people feel about you what and Not you got the time you, to do steroids either <laughs> yeah and you got to keep your mind right I mean you just got to you yeah. got to you got to fight through it it's a mental game it is a very very much mental, it's a very mental, mental game. game it's a streaky game yeah. it's a everyday game in the same light that you could struggle two days in a row if you have a bad day the good thing is you get to show up to the park tomorrow and try to redeem yourself and I think that's it's been a long-standing tradition of baseball to People ask, why do you play such a long season? How come you play so many games? I think it's twofold. One, it's not that taxing on your body as opposed to football or basketball, but also it's a it's a it's a it's an accumulation game. Like and I think when you talk about we're playing seven game series in the playoffs, we're playing five game series, you're gonna get the best winner. And one game who knows, the quarterback's ill this day and he's not having his best day and we lost and we're out next season. In this case, my pitcher my ace, he didn't have a good day, but hey, we get to come back tomorrow. We get to try to redeem ourselves and put ourselves back in the series. And so the accumulation of games, stats, just everything is what really makes baseball a fine game in it, amongst itself. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a minute. Thanks for listening to the Louisville Sluggers podcast. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation with Nathan Gutierrez, the GM of Texas Airhawks, located in Grand Prairie, Texas. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review. It helps us create more content and helps us better understand what you enjoy. Follow us on Instagram at Louisville Sluggers and follow us on Twitter at Elton Sluggers, where we're always talking baseball. We're now available on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for listening.